0: and use the code Pantheon 50 to get 50% off. That's factormeals.com slash Pantheon 50 and use the code Pantheon 50 to get 50% off.
1: I think it was about three quarters of an hour we had Wild Thing in the bag and with a girl like you. And Wild Thing made number one in America and with a girl like you was number one in England at the same time, you know, so you know, in different parts of the world. And I was in somebody's house putting a switch on the wall and this woman had a radio on and the radio said, here we have, number eight, uh, the Trogs. And I I couldn't believe it. I thought, what am I doing this for?
2: Hello and welcome to episode 57 of Vintage Rock Pod, the ultimate classic rock podcast that proudly claims that my music is better than yours. I'm Paul Stevenson. Thanks, as always, for hitting play. Now this week's show features a great interview with a member of an iconic 60s group whose hit song is one of the staples of classic rock pun intended there's some great stories of just what it was like to be a rock star in those early days of the scene touring with the who the dangers of the rock and roll lifestyle and much more but firstly uh, my apologies i haven't been active on social media this week at all as i've not been feeling too well to be honest so i'm sorry there's been very little activity i'm not ignoring you guys i promise just struggle to concentrate for more than a few minutes a big thank you though to uh, joe michaud Uh, Kevin Williams and Joe Kay for being in touch. It's much appreciated. Hopefully I'll be a bit more with it next week and get some proper conversation going. Now, back to today's guest then. I was joined by the original founding member of the Trogs, Pete Staples. Pete was with the group for all of their success from... 1964 to 1969. In fact, the group failed to even chart a new single after he left the band. Now, the Trogs, then. The legacy lineup of Pete Staples, Ronnie Bond, Chris Britton and Reg Ball, who everyone knows better as Reg Presley. Story goes is that they thought he he couldn't really be a star with a name like Reg Ball. Someone jokingly mentioned the name Presley and it stuck, apparently. So, there you go. Anyway, the Trogs became superstars all around the world, topping the charts globally with... Wild Thing, of course, a song that appeared in so many movies and TV shows and more and has been covered by some of the real greats and I mean the elites, people like Jimi Hendrix and Bruce Springsteen and was named by Rolling Stone in one of the top 500 songs of all time. Other hits of theirs have been covered by the likes of Iggy Pop and the Stooges, the Buzzcocks, Susie and the Banshees, R.E.M., the Ramones and many more. Most famously with Wet 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 having a number one in the UK that stayed at the top of the charts for 15 Weeks with their cover of The Trogs, Love is All Around. Now, they've been cited as influences for so many bands that followed their raunchy lyrics, their raw and heavy sound, and memorable melodies set them as one of the great British bands of the 60s. Now, Pete Staples was the bass player in the band, as I said, he's now 77 years old, and I was delighted to hear him recount his incredible stories. Now, we start at the beginning The Trogs were an existing band going through changes. They were left with Ronnie and Reg, while fellow local group, the Ten Feet Five, were also going through something similar with just two members remaining, Chris and Pete. So they joined together and they kept the name The Trogs and stardom soon beckoned as they were taken on by the Kinks manager, Larry Page, as Pete Staples recalls.
1: Well, our manager um, got in touch with Larry Page and said The Trogs are a different lineup now um you know can we come up and uh, sort of see you so he said come up and we went up there and we played and he absolutely liked us and um he sort of said you know yes you know I'll um you know I'll, I'm quite interested because I think he just got rid of the kinks or the kinks actually yeah <laughs> <left> Larry Page <laughs> and um uh, Acrimonious uh, way and um so he was looking for a- another group so it was you know, fortuitous for us that he was looking for another group, and and um, you know we, we wanted to get on, so uh, it, it went on from there.
2: Fantastic stuff. And then, um, boom, along came Wild Thing. Now, the song itself, as we know, it came from America. It was written by Chip Taylor. So, how did that song from America come to be in front of you guys to to perform and record?
1: Well. Larry Page started um, a, a, a record company with Dick James, the Beatles' music publisher, mm-hmm. and they they were looking for uh, groups and or anything, yeah, music groups. So he went over to America and uh, he he met up with some people that he knew over there, and he said, you know, have you got any songs? That, you know, that you know we can take back to England to record. And they said, well, you know, we got this demo. um, of Chip Taylor uh, do, doing this song called Wild Thing. Um, you know, you take that back with you. So he brought it back to England and he, he called us up to his office and uh, he said, you know, um, uh, you know, i got this uh, song, this uh, uh, called Wild Thing. He said, go away and rehearse it. And um, he said, I've got a, um, a recording session of my orchestra in about a month's time. He said, if we got any time left over at that um, session, he said, you know, you can come in and you know, bash this song out, see what it sounds like. He said, take it away, he said, and, um, uh, and rehearse it. So we took it back to Andover, Us, uh, We rehearsed it. And we also, we were thinking about doing one of the Loving spoonfuls numbers. Um, okay. Did you ever have to make up your mind or something like that? I forget what it was called. And also, Reg had a song in his mind. So we didn't like the loving spoonful one. It was a bit too wishy washy for us. It wasn't our sort of music. So we actually um, rehearsed one of Reg's songs, and it was called "With a Girl Like You." So anyhow, we 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 rehearsed these two songs. We went back to Larry Page and uh, the, the the day of his. Um, recording of his orchestra i think it was in the evening about six o'clock he finished recording i, I remember it was dark out there mm-hmm. we were sitting in the van waiting outside <laughs> and uh, uh, his music uh, producer come running out. he said right lads he said you've got a, an hour left on this session rush in there plug your gear in let's hear what you got so you know we jumped out the van got our guitars amplifiers rushed in massive great studio it was you know we'd never been in a studio anything like that before and it was a massive place so we plugged all our gear and he said right let's hear this uh these songs that you've got so we bashed out wild thing and uh, then we bashed out um, with a girl like you and the only thing in the middle of wild thing was um uh, he didn't know, actually know what to put in there for the for the solo. Mm-hmm. He was thinking about putting a guitar in there, but when Chip Taylor did the um, recording, his sound engineer cupped his hands together, made a noise through like you blow through your 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 your, oh. your hands and make a whistling noise, yeah, yeah. and that's what the middle that's what the middle bit sounded like. Uh, the middle eight and. Um, he said to Colin Fletcher, he said, he, said, he said that sounds like an ocarina to me. He said, pop down the music shop down the road and get an ocarina. <laughs> so Colin rushed down to the music shop and got. Her. he said to the woman, he said, have you got an ocarina? She said, well, what key do you want it in? He said, well, I have got a clue. He said, you know, let's have what you've got. So he rushed back to the studio with this ocarina and found out what key it was in. He'd never played an ocarina before. And um, uh, and I think he had to put a load of sellotape over a lot of the holes wow. of the ocarina <laughs> to, to be able to play uh, a tune that was, or something, uh, an instrumental bit, um, you know, in the middle of wild things. So he, ma- he managed, managed to do it, you know, managed to cover up the holes and play something. Uh, I think he did it in one take and... I think we did ours maybe in one take. So we had Wild Thing. He said, right, he said, we've got um, a little bit of time left. What else you got? He said, well, we didn't want to do the Loving Spoonful one, so uh, we decided that we'd do this song that Reg did, uh, wrote. So um, we, we, we bashed that one out. And I, I think it was about three quarters of an hour we had Wild Thing in the bag and with a girl like you. And Wild Thing made number one in America. And with a girl like you, was number one in England at the same time. You know, so we had the A side and the B side. You know, in different parts of the
2: world. That's incredible. I wonder if that's ever been done since. I mean, having a number one both sides of the Atlantic at the same time has probably been done, but with two different songs. I mean, that is phenomenal.
1: Yeah, because Wild Thing never made number one in, in England. That's right, but it did it did in America. But with a girl like you. Um, w- when we released that uh, in England, um, that, that that made number one. So we had number one with A Girl Like You in England and number one with Wild Thing in America.
2: Absolutely brilliant stuff. And it's interesting to hear as well the stories behind the recording sessions because when you think nowadays of all the different um, computer softwares and all the, the voice control and everything else and the stories of people being in studios for, for a year and a half to make a record, and there's you telling us that in 45 minutes... You recorded two number one singles. Phenomenal stuff.
1: Well, it it was, um, but um, it it was because we rehearsed these things uh, so much, and I think we were very limited to time uh, that that they accepted what uh, we um, produced and then maybe enhanced, you know, different bits and pieces and all that. um, Because if you hear a wild thing, done normally you know you you don't get that big intro which you actually get on the record yes so they they enhanced it to a certain degree but the but you can't enhance the wild thing too much because it's (laughs) only three chords
2: anyhow (laughs) absolutely um and was it a a deliberate ploy to to make it so heavy sounding
1: we had to because we we were a three-piece um i'm a very basic bass player and Ronnie, a very basic drummer, so we had to sort of uh, put everything into it to make it sound like anything. Because <laughs> the original version was um, Chip Taylor used to write country music, yes, you know. Yeah. So um, it, when we got it, you know, he was sort of singing along like it was a country song. And of <laughs> course, we couldn't do that. You know, Reg didn't have that sort of voice to do it. Um, Ronnie didn't want to play that sort of stuff, and I I, I didn't want. So, uh, you know, we just had to hit it. And Reg was always, even on stage, Reg used to turn around to Ronnie and swear at him him and tell him to (laughs) hit those effing drums, you know, all that sort of thing. And and so it it was always a very heavy uh, sort of approach to some of the songs.
2: And that sort of heaviness sound that, that you're talking about there, it, it's its one of the reasons you've been cited as influences by the likes of Iggy Pop and the Stooges and the Ramones and the Buzzcocks famously covering your songs. So it's no surprise that that led to you being called the progenitors of punk rock by none other than Lester Bangs. How does that feel to have been part of something with such influence?
1: Well, I never really thought about it. You just play the way that you, you're, you're able to play. Mm. and we, That was the only way we could you know we were able to play so um if other people liked it and it seems like people did and <laughs> followed suit then um you know I, i'm i'm very pleased that you know they get the same feeling as, as what we used to get
2: and at uh, that point when you're recording these songs and they're getting into the chart and they're climbing higher and higher you guys were still working at your, your regular jobs weren't you electricians and and building sites and things like that
1: oh yes yeah i was uh i was an electrician um And I was in somebody's house putting a a switch on the wall, and this woman had a radio on, and the radio said, here we have, number eight, uh, the Trogs. And I I couldn't believe it. I thought, what am I doing this for? You know, (laughs) because you you, you dream of actually getting in the charts, I used to buy the Melody Maker every week, every yes. week, you know, listen to um, workers' playtime years and years. And a lot, many people won't remember it, but they used to have, you know, bands on. They used to have break time in these um, big factories. And they used to have popular groups and singers. Like I, I think I heard the Honeycombs and all that uh, on um, workers' playtime. Workers play and I thought, how marvellous to be on that. So you actually dreamt, of being there and to actually, you know, to see, um, your group or your, the, the, the song in the charts would have been marvelous. Even the lower parts of the charts would have uh, been marvelous, but, um, how it ended, that was, um, unbelievable. Reg was on the building site. He was a, uh, a, a brickie. And, um, when he heard that on the, I don't think it must've been the same day as me because <laughs> he threw his trowel down. He said, that's it, lads. He said, you can have my tools. He said, oh, I'm office, so I'm going to turn professional. <laughs> so, so we rang Larry Page up that night and said, um, Larry, you know, we're number eight in the charts. You know, do you think we ought to turn professional, pack our jobs? Because silly, wasn't it working? And your record's right up in the charts there. So he said, oh, yeah, you might as well then. So uh, <laughs> I went in the next day. I said to my boss, I said, I said I, 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 I'm, I'm finishing. I said, I'm going to turn professional. And that's what we did.
2: Incredible stuff! I love to hear that. Um, and what do you remember of filming the, the video to "Wild Thing"? Then, I mean, obviously, music videos were very much in its infancy stage back then. But you guys were on the crowded underground platform, was it? And uh, what what do you remember of, of that day filming that? Uh,
1: that was in Sweden. That was. That, oh, that, was it? That um, we had a Swedish bloke who did a lot of um videos for various people, and we employed him, or our manager did, employed him to to do this video of um "Wild Thing" in the station in, in Sweden, it, it, it's very awkward because you have a lot of people milling around yes. and you have the trains coming in and out <laughs> all, all the time, so it's a bit awkward And but we, we managed to do it and, um, and then uh, well, it was quite funny, one of the takes, um, we were filming there, this old lady carrying two big shopping bags walked by and was standing there looking at us <laughs> as, as we were recording so we had to sort of cut that bit out and sort of start again, so yeah, it was it, it was a bit fun. We used to have a good laugh at it. Of course, you you're miming all the time. You know, yes. walking around, miming to this uh, playback which they got, and of course they got a lot of people in the stations just all stand there with their mouths open and all that. So uh, yeah, it was quite quite fun, really
2: fun stuff indeed and, and how did you react to the fame then i mean you, you've given up your day jobs wild thing becomes a huge hit all over the world you're having a number one in the uk with with a girl like you i mean how did how did you react to the, how did the band react to the fame did it fall into the kind of i don't know stereotypical drink and drugs and girls and that sort of thing or were you more refrained than that
0: hey pantheon listeners christian swain again with something every podcast listener and music junkie needs to hear As I'm sure you can guess, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I also listen to a lot of music, so having high-quality headphones and earbuds are absolutely critical to my day. Oh, and I have numerous pairs. In fact, I have a junk drawer of used devices that have bitten the dust, so I've tried them all. Recently, I was sent a pair of earbuds by Raycon, And the first thing I noticed was the cost. Uh, Looks like their products are about half the price of other premium brands. Okay, that's cool. And the reviews seem pretty stellar. Okay, checks that box. So I got my Raycon Everyday Earbuds. A nice packaging to open, and what I immediately noticed were the pack of ear tips for sizing. Uh, I'll tell you, I have small ear canals. Uh, I know, a flaw. So to see choices for the best fit, uh, especially while exercising... (laughs) Oh yeah. Raycon order plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get twenty percent off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon.
3: Go to AmericanCriminal.com dot com or search for and follow American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Um. Well, you know I, I, the, the, the drugs bit we never experienced until we um we went over to America. Uh, but drink, big problem. Not big problem. That's not right. But we had. Uh, problems with we we quite liked uh, 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 rum and coke that was our, our um, no whiskey and coke sorry whiskey and coke was our main drink and it got quite bad at some time because you used to wake up in the morning in a hotel and the first thing you used to grab was the whiskey bottles <laughs> and, and the coke you know and going on a plane you couldn't wait for that plane to get off the ground before you you had a drink so it was becoming a bit of a problem even though we didn't know it. Mm-hmm. Um, the sex bit, yeah. Well, that, that was part and parcel. Of it wasn't it? the screaming girls actually. So uh, you take your opportunity when it arose. The 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 problem was that um, you were never in one place very long. It was a sort of a nightstand, and on you you move, you moved move on to something else. So it um, you, you didn't have. To, Plan, plan anything? You Just have to grab anything. What was going at the time, really?
2: <laughs> and you speak of life on the road, there. I mean, with the success in North America, you went over there, didn't you? And you you did some big tours over there, and with the likes of the Who. I mean, what do you remember about that?
1: Yeah, they they they, they were good. They Who uh, they, they were they were very very good. You know, we got on with them very well, especially Keith Moon. He, he was some right old character. You know, <laughs> he used to. Uh, it, I always remember um one one time he he was saying about when they. Used to have these—I don't know like little, 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 um, explosive things, and he used to put them on the doors and blow the hinges off the doors <laughs> and all things like that. Terrible it was, but it, I, I like Keith very much. I got to, got to know him very well, and um, yeah, the the Who—they—they—they—they're they're all good lads, you know. We we got on—we did a tour with them over there, and it was, it was very good. It was the, the thing that used to make me laugh was when they used to smash all their gear up, you yeah. know. And uh, the poor old roadie, he he looked—he wasn't very old, but he looked about eighty. And I said to him one day, (laughs) at the end of the gig, I said, "All this gear," I said, "the drums all broken, all the guitar amps all smashed up." I said, "You've got to replace all that." He he said, "No," he said, "I've got to repair it for the next gig." (laughs) So. I said you he had he had gout and he was walking about all bent over, picking up bits and pieces of instruments and drums. I thought I wouldn't like your job, mate at all. That's for sure.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and what did you make of America at that time? Then I mean, I've spoken to, to various other people, Jim McCarthy of the Yardbirds and Colin Blundstone of the Zombies and things like that, and they said it was a real eye opener going from the the quite dark post era kind of war post war era of the UK to the bright lights and the milk and the honey of America
1: yeah think, well we we were sort of you know, we, you know we're we're country lads, so it it was all completely alien to us you know the, the the way of life over the big drug scene over there, you know one of the gigs we did was in Greenwich village, and um we we got on stage there playing and um behind us was this um image or it was projected on the wall on the on the scene behind us um, like um, they had little films like you could have Charlie Chaplin running along. Then <laughs> they would show a picture of a penis, something like that, and <laughs> and then globules of um. Remember those light things? They had uh, oil in and
2: um, yes, yes, heat
1: up the oil. And it used to float to the top and all that. That those pictures of globules Love of lamps, stuff yep. going up. So so behind us when we were playing on stage, we had all these things going on, and we were playing to this audience. I don't actually think they were listening to us. They were out of their minds, <laughs> just looking at the scenes behind us. And there we were, getting up on the stage and playing. And uh, you know, I, I don't think they were looking at us half after the time. They seemed to be out of their minds. So it was a completely different setup to what we used to get in England when we used to go playing. Well, like with the, we used to do a circuit with the small faces, yeah. and uh, in different mecca ballrooms and. You know the crowds were screaming, girls and all this sort of thing. But over you know, to America, you got a load of people sitting in front of you with their mouths open, their eyes wide open, looking. You know, not at you. Or, you think, we, are they? Because we we were a group. Reg was a sort of singer that he used to encourage the girls. He used to go right up to the front of the stage and sing up close to them, and the girls used to go mad. Well, He couldn't have done that in America with in Greenwich Village. You know they. They, they didn't actually see. It, I don't think. <laughs> so, so it was just completely different setup, really. But that was the the one-off gigs. You know, they, we did loads of other gigs up there, which were reasonably normal.
2: <laughs> and another song we have to touch on is one Reg wrote, uh, Love is All Around, another big hit for you guys, reached number five in 1967. But it obviously got a new lease of life a couple of times in the 90s with, with REM covering it first. And then came the monstrous version by Wet, 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 which was a number one in 1994 for 15 consecutive weeks in the UK. I mean, how did you feel at that time hearing that song? It was literally everywhere all the time, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, well, 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 yeah I I'm a bit peed off because I didn't get any money for that. <laughs> <laughs> Red's got the money, but yes. of course we don't get the money for that. We're, we're, we're getting the money for that, so um, uh, you know, I was a bit peed off actually about that one. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but was it was it strange to hear your song almost that, that, that you guys had recorded and put out there and had a hit with, and you're hearing this other band do it and, and having such success with it too?
1: No, not really. No, um, I, 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 as I said, you know, when I came out of the group that. Um, I, I came out under not very good circumstances, and I was a little bit, um, you know, I, I, I didn't like the music scene that mm-hmm. much, so I, I didn't actually latch onto that the the uh, that, that you know the tune being played. So it it didn't bother me at all. I, I just thought about the time when we rec- when we recorded it and we got the demo back and um well, we had changed our managers by then that's where we had a court case with larry page and all that and we broke contact with him and we had a uh, we went back to our old manager in andover and we recorded uh, lovers all around without larry page you know we did that one completely on our own and um when we got the demo we went to our manager's place and we, we played it and um, on his uh, Dynatron radiogram, it was in those days, and it um, sounded very good. And he closed his eyes and he, at the end of it, he looked up. He said, That's a hit. That's a hit. so And it, it, it was for us, but it was, of course, it was a, a bigger hit for um, Wet, 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 even though some people say, which <laughs> I'm sure they do it you know, because. Uh, uh, i there, they said, oh, I much prefer your version. <laughs> so I'll I, go along with that anyhow. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and you mentioned leaving the band there. I mean, your time in the band was the band at its peak, wasn't it? I mean, five top 10 singles, including obviously a number one in the UK, numerous others inside the top 40 as well. But as you said, in 1969, you you were out of the band. Now, what what led to that?
1: I never, ever did find out the reason but they they kicked me out. They, I, I just got married actually. Yeah, I come back off my honeymoon. I think we did my, maybe one or two gigs, and then I was called up to London with the rest of them. And Larry Page says, "Um, um you know, the boys don't don't want you in the band anymore." So you know, I I never did find out the real reason for it. Um, Larry Page said he says it's like a football team, Pete. He said, "Um, when things are not going very well, he said you have to start changing some of the players." In retrospect, I think, you know, you should change the bloody manager and not, 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 <laughs> not, not the player. <laughs> but uh, Reg, um, Ronnie said, well, he said, you like different music to us, Pete. Well, we all, you know, everybody in the group likes uh, different types of music. Chris, our guitarist, he was classically trained. So, you know, he was, uh, he liked all sorts of music. Yeah. So I never did find out the reason. Uh, I think it might have been that um, I was the person that was inquiring where, all the money had gone, you know, we weren't having any money, you know, we didn't have any money and we had all these hits, and we weren't getting any money. So uh, it was the, me that was asking about this and um, that might have been the reason that I was a bit of a troublemaker, uh, get rid of him and uh, and that was it. So that uh, they got rid of
2: me. <laughs> And you, you stepped away from the music scene, didn't you, for for a while after that, you said. And then you you did come back musically with, with 10 Feet 5, they got back together for a while. And then yourself and your son as well, Leo, toured for for years and other members in a band called Wild Things. Now, how was that getting to play with your son?
1: Yeah, it was nice. It, it, was, it, it was good for him. But the, the, the problem is, uh, I, I don't know if it's the youth today or it's just my son, but um, he's a very shy lad and uh, he wouldn't put himself forward. So he just used to come along uh, along with it and uh, just just play along with it. But um, I don't think he had any intentions of, he didn't like group attitude. And uh, the thing is with groups, you get, as I said, you get breakups in groups, you get people arguing, you get different sorts of music. It, 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 it's, it's not a harmonious thing the bulk of the time uh so and he he didn't like that sort of uh, thing but to actually have my son playing in the band with me was um was, was quite nice but um it's not something that um i, I think he he wanted to do anyhow
2: <laughs> wonderful well pete there's been some fantastic stories and and that kind of leads to to the book that you released a couple of years ago wild thing a rocky road now what was the decision behind writing that
1: when I used to go out with my mates, and just like I'm talking to you and you're having a bit of a laugh and we're having a bit of a laugh together, um, my mates used to say, me, call Pete, you could write a book, you know, with these stories. <laughs> so I didn't think any more about it. Then one day I had an email from somebody in America that um, used to write um, autobiographies for other American artists. He said, he said, I'd like to do yours. I thought, crikey, you know, I don't think you'd understand what I'm talking about half the time with a different, because my, one of my jobs uh, was, um, when I left school is to make sausages and faggots. And when I told him (laughs) I made faggots, you know, he he, he couldn't believe it. You know, I thought, you know, we're not on the same wavelength there. So I thought I'm going to have (laughs) to do this on my own. You know, so I decided to do it on my own and, um, it took me a year and I was at it nearly every day, every day going, because you need a lot of information. Mm-hmm. When your memory's gone and all this, you, you can't remember certain things. So I did a lot of research and anyway, I produced it and um, I, I was quite pleased. I, was, I, was, I said a lot of things in there that some people say, oh, I wouldn't have said that. I wouldn't have said that. But um, I read a few autobiographies and I thought some of these people are not really coming out and telling the truth or they're very, very boring what they're telling. Um, I actually want to be quite truthful about it. Yes. And um, I was, and uh, I'm quite happy with it, the way it's ended up. And, um, yeah, it, it was it was nice when it was finished.
2: Perfect stuff. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you, Pete, and uh, thank you very much for your time.
1: OK, then, Paul, Thank you very much indeed.
2: Pete Staples there. Definitely check out his book if you can. There's lots of other fantastic stories we didn't get to mention. I mean, the group met Muhammad Ali or Cassius Clay, as he was then known. And as it was said in the interview, Pete was very open and honest and revealing in this book. So it's definitely worth a read. Right into the time of the show for the top fives, and don't forget you can see all these top fives in one place on Spotify. There's a playlist compiled and updated weekly by Paul Graham. Just search for Vintage Rock Pod Top Fives on Spotify and you can give that a follow. There's uh, 22 hours worth of songs on that list, so definitely worth listening to. So anyway, this week is a chance for me to offer up my top five songs from The Trogs, of course. Now remember, this is my personal favourite list, the songs I enjoy the most. It's subjective, so it's okay for you to disagree but here we go my favourite five songs from the Trogs according to Vintage Rock Pod at five is a track that's different to the usual Trog sound it was them trying the psychedelic route And number five is Night in, Night, in Night in the Long Grass at four is their only number one hit in the UK one of those two songs recorded in just 45 minutes at number four is with a girl like you. A 3 is a track with another stomping bounce to it, dirty and gritty. And number 3 is Pretty Little Thing. 2 is another of the songs that's been covered by many groups. From Reg's guttural scream of Oh No at the beginning it's pounding beat rolls throughout this three minutes classic. At number 2 is I Can't Control Myself.
1: you no with no
2: one else
1: Cause when I'm with you I can't control myself
2: and at number one is The Song, of course. It's an absolute classic and anthem and is known the world over. My favorite song from the Trogs, and number one on my list is, of course, Wild Thing.
0: Wild Thing, I think I love you.
2: But I wanna know for sure. So
0: come on, hold me tight.
2: there you go, my favourite five songs from the Trogs. As always, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Where do you agree or disagree? Let me know your top fives. Drop me an email, vintagerockpod at gmail.com and I'll give you a mention on next week's episode thank you so much for listening to this week so I hope you enjoyed the interview and if you did please check out the brilliant back catalogue of guests I've had on the show previously there's some big names on there Rock and Roll Hall of Famers Grammy Award winners multi-platinum selling artists galore and don't forget to hit subscribe or follow on whatever podcast player you're listening to this on so that you don't miss any other great episodes coming your way like next week's guest the lead singer of a Canadian group that shot to fame in the 80s achieving four platinum selling records in the US and having a list of instantly recognisable songs but that's for next week in episode 58 until then though, remember if you come across anyone who isn't a fan of classic rock, just tell them my music is better than yours take care
3: The crypto king who siphoned off billions and plenty more. From assassins and gangsters to killers and con artists. Whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the full story until now. (laughs) Don't miss the debut season of American Criminal, the Menendez Brothers, beginning February 29th.